You're listening to the Teach Better Talk podcast featuring expert educators eager to share progressive tactics to reach more students. Teach Better Talk is created by teachers and fueled by passion. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 86 of Teach Better Talk. I'm Ray Hewitt, and as always, I'm with my emoji-loving friend, <laughs> Jeff Gargas. Uh, I do. I, I like emojis. I guess you could say Here's the story them. behind that, friends, because we keep it real here on Teach Better Talk. Yeah. I, Jeff I, and I were texting earlier today, and I chose, because I am the sweet, loving friend I am, to send him all of the most commonly used emojis on my phone. And he found that irritating. I don't know why. I did not find it irritating. As you just stated, I love emojis. So I find you irritating. I just <laughs> want to know why a taco was most used in my emoji list. Well, well, hold on. Let me, let me look at my phone here because I think it was actually it was a taco, but it was also a candy bar, a piece of cake, and a cheeseburger. I don't know why. I know why. <laughs> I have some very clear idea why. <laughs> okay, don't lie. You know, and everybody who knows me knows that I eat salad and fries. That's true. You do. It's all I, my meals. yeah. The only two emojis you should have is a salad and a thing of fries. Like that should be it. And like the the face with the tongue sticking out, like smiling. That's that's definitely my that's, my go to. That's true. This is a horrible podcast. Well, if you are listening right now, before we get into all the goodness that we're going to share, it'd be great if you could tweet at us or share in an Instagram story, post on Facebook. What's your favorite emoji? What should be, what's Ooh, like, like your it. most commonly used one? And then make sure you tag us so you can join this conversation. Ooh, now I like it. That's good. That's cool. Let's See how that. I flipped that? This is why they pay me the big bucks <laughs> in episode 86. Loving it. Yeah. So, Jeff, one of the things in this episode that I really liked is that they, the speakers that we had, the guests that we had, focused a lot on student ownership and kind of how scary that idea is for teachers to try and, like, give ownership to their students. Did you pick that up? Yeah, we talked about that quite a bit. Yeah, that was a um... – yeah, they talked. They shared that as part of uh, their failure and something they tried to do in their school, and how they feel like some of that fear was was really driving home some of the reasons that it didn't work out. Um, I think that's common, though, Ray. And I think you actually say in the episode that you know when you give that ownership over to 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 students, it can be really scary. It is really scary. From like personally, when I've done it in my own classroom with my students that I love and trust, it is still scary. Yeah, and we see that you know we see that a lot. You know, we do a lot of training on, on mastery learning, which puts that you know the ownership in the hands of the students, and and that's a big shift. That's not it's not an easy thing to do, um, and it can come with challenges and come with a lot of failures, and and you know like like Marianne and Ellen mentioned, it can also come with some some uh, pushback from others who are also not are also scared. So. So what are some ways that we can combat that then, right? Like what, what should we be thinking about if we're thinking about doing something like that, that we're, we're shifting ownership over, whether it's on a project or, or, or just in general in our classrooms? Like how did you get past that? What do you have in place in your classroom that allowed you to do that? Well, I think that's really important, like the tactical next step, because we talked a lot about the concerns of student ownership and and why it, it leads to occasional failures, but why it leads to an incredible 
success when you give students that opportunity. But yeah, we didn't really go through any strategies. So let's see. Um, one of the biggest pieces as I was dabbling in my classroom before I officially switched to like the mastery learning approach is I needed a way for me to catch the pitfalls that can come with more of a student-led classroom um, before they happened, right? That's like the mentality. I talk a lot about this with my principal being proactive versus reactive, right? As teachers, we're constantly trying to reflect on how can I be more proactive to what could happen during this lesson and how am I going to support my students versus reactive in the moment when you have 34 eyes on you and you've realized that you need something that you feel like you don't have right now. So um, personally, like my first thing I needed to find was a system to track my students throughout this ownership. So if I have students who I give maybe a prompt to, like a project they might be working on, they might be solving a problem, similar to like a project-based learning approach, but I'm kind of going to let them explore. I, I can allow them to explore, but it's still important for me as the teacher to, to support them in facilitating their learning to track where they are through their exploration. So I know, Jeff, obviously you know that we use a tracking page for that, and I see tracking pages done a thousand different ways. I actually just got off the phone yesterday with a fifth-grade teacher who's using this incredible magnet board that someone in her community made for her. I was so proud. And students are, yeah, they're going to kind of like track their their learning progression on this like huge magnetic whiteboard. It's going to be so cool. I cannot wait to see that. Um me, I mean, I use a Google Sheet and have students use colors, but um, I've just seen so many different approaches to that. But but trying to give students ownership while still feeling like I am updated on their progress was enormous for me at first. Do you want me to go over another one, like well, another piece? Yeah, sorry, I was th I was trying to think. Like, so that's yeah, that's a big piece. So yeah, give us one, give, give us one more. And then I, I wanted to add something in too, but give us one more. All right. So the other thing I needed was while they were checking their progress, like while that was being tracked, that was helpful. But um, the other thing was then needing them to advocate for themselves. Like if they're going to have ownership through something, some form of leadership in the classroom and you know exploration in their learning, they also need to then learn the skill of advocating for their needs. So I use them similar to the tracking page. I actually put these two things together, but I know teachers that keep them separate. I have students use colors to communicate when they need something. So if they have a question about something that's like completely stopped their learning, they use the color red to show that they need help and they actually are incapable. They aren't able to move forward without support. Um, we can then flip that and say like, okay, they have a question, but the students are able to continue their learning without it being answered immediately. We use yellow to show that. So I put these together in one Google Sheet where students track their progression and advocate for their needs. But for example, like the teacher, literally I was talking to yesterday, um, she's using like colored cups and flags for students using those same color mentalities. So I just think that there's so many different supports that we can put in for, for our students as we start to transfer this ownership. And while it's scary for the teacher, I really think, especially if you're listening right now and you're considering a student ownership shift where it becomes a, a student-focused classroom rather than a teacher-focused classroom, there are tools for you. There are solutions 
But yes, you do have to go advocate for yourself to find them. So, I mean, obviously we'd be, we'd love to help with that. (laughs) That would be cool. Yeah. I love it. And the one piece I want to add is that, you know, I think it's touching on the other side. So you, you touched on a lot of the stuff with, with working with the kids and helping set up there. But also I think, you know, a big piece of when you're making a shift like this is the communication to others about it and, and making sure that those other people that are involved in the stakeholders, if you will, that are connected to the change that you're making and the shift to more ownership on your students is is really crucial to make sure that they understand what you're doing. I know you do, you you send home, I think you do a video, if correct me if I'm wrong, with, you know, that goes home to your parents, stakeholders that explain like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's how our class might look and operate a little bit differently than uh, than the ones you've had in the past or the other ones that your student is in. This is why we do it. This is what you expect. And that I think sets up both the, the parents and the students for those pieces that you have in place for. This is how we track each other. This is how we make sure it stays under control. This is how your student can advocate for themselves and how they can allow me to know that, you know, what they need, when they need it and, and things of that nature. And I bring that up because Marianne and Ellen uh, both they touch on that about sort of the need for communication and, and amongst their colleagues as well, which which I know you also are very open in, in the communicating with your colleagues about how your classroom operates a little bit differently and the and the the ownership that your students have in your class that might be a little bit different than some of the other ones. I think this episode's gonna bring out a lot of the the scary part of student ownership and it also will highlight the amazing impact it can have. So I can't wait for you guys to hear episode eighty six. So let's get into episode 86 with Marianne Cullinan and Ellen Kidd. All right, so we are here and we are talking. We have another special episode for you where we have two educators on chatting with us. We are talking with Marianne Cullinan and Ellen Kidd. And uh, super excited to have both of you on, ladies. Really excited that you decided to join us and chat with us a little bit. Before we get going on really anything, any of the deeper questions, I really just want to ask both of you, how are you feeling right now? Um, I feel good. One more day and it's summer vacation. Yeah, I had my last day yesterday, so we are good. So you're like both, you're like almost there. You're not quite. Almost, yeah. Yes, late, late, late in the year. Ray's been out for a few weeks now, haven't you, Ray? I have, but I know that because different schools start and end different times, it's crazy to hear that you're probably the last wing of teachers finishing up this week. Well, we had a lot of snow days that we had to make up. Uh, and and a lot it. of professional development. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, guys. While we take a quick break, I want to make sure that you are constantly thinking about how you are growing your network. We have a hashtag mastery chat every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. It's a great way to pop on, answer a few questions, and collaborate with teachers around the world. Hope you join us next Thursday. Well, ladies, I want to make sure that we're able to learn all about you during this podcast episode. So would you mind, and Ellen, we're going to start with you first. Would you mind sharing about yourself and how you can answer the question of what you do? Okay. Well, I'm a special educator um, for eighth grade. Our middle school is fifth through eighth grade. And um, our school is really passionate about full inclusion. So our classes are not leveled. They're mixed abilities. Um, I went into education because I have three boys and I have two brothers and I found that there's a lot of bias towards boys and that, um, school is really not for them. So I try to make a difference and, um, talk about, you know, that school needs to change. 
Wonderful. Would you, Marianne, mind sharing a little about yourself? Sure. So I'm Marianne Cullinan, and I teach enrichment at Great Brook School, which is a little school in rural New Hampshire, and it's a public school. And my job is basically to help people find their people and their passion. We are so lucky because our enrichment program is project-based learning, and it's not just for gifted and talented, because really there are lots of different kinds of gifts that middle schoolers have. And everybody doesn't need to read Othello in seventh grade. We could be doing all sorts of things that'll help us become better people and find our people. So we have a lot of fun and try to get a lot of awesome things done. Loving it. And so so I want to talk, you know, we talk a lot of, on this podcast about, about failure and, and looking back at the challenges we've had and adjusting and learning from them. So I wonder if, if, if you could each kind of share a story with us by the time that you've, that you've had a struggle, had a failure and tell us what happened, how to make you feel, how did you overcome that? And then what did you learn from that? what did you take away from that experience? Uh, Ellen, let's start with you first. Um, so Marianne and I teach a lot together and we had this idea of taking student council, the traditional student council and making it into a more, um, student-based group that we would come together and figure out, um, you know, through norms and things like that, what the kids wanted to do and really um, let them have a voice or leadership in the school. And it totally failed. And now we're back to traditional student council. We are. <laughs> so basically the idea was that instead of it being a popularity contest and people just voting for a random person in their advisory, we or take promising a vending machine. We would just take all the kids who were interested in being part of leadership at our school, and we would find things that they could come to the table and be part of it. We would do a lot of leadership, but also some team building across the school culture building, and it was really, really exciting. Um, except that nobody else wanted to do it except us. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we were willing to have the kids um, brainstorm and put events together and that if they failed, they failed. But that didn't go over very well. But And so I think what we really learned is that we didn't bring the rest of the adults along with right. us enough. Right. We are both the kind of people who like to jump into ideas with two feet and figure what's the worst that can happen, right? If we have a turkey trot and they don't, don't have t-shirts, have t-shirts, then they don't have t-shirts. Like who cares? But we didn't spend enough time helping scaffold our idea for the rest of the staff. And we weren't all on the same page. Like some people really did care if there mm -hmm. were t-shirts. Right. <laughs> so one of the things we've learned is that we need to go slower and do a better job building bridges about the idea because I don't think anyone was against the idea of kids having more of a voice. But then when it get push comes to shove, kids having a true voice is actually pretty scary. For the adults. Right. Well, for some of the adults. <laughs> <laughs> we also accepted way too many kids. Right. Everybody like, who wanted to do it could. Right. So we had like 75 <laughs> kids. It was just way too big. Right. We only have 260 kids in our school. So a leadership group of 70 turned out to be a little <laughs> it's much. It's quite a bit. Yeah. It's a big, yeah. big piece yeah. of that. 
Right. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, like the, it's, it's the slowing down a little bit, communicating more, make sure you bring in all those stakeholders and, and, and bring that all together. Are you thinking of trying to roll that back out that way again, but with some adjustments or. I think eventually one thing we did learn, um, we sort of took what we learned and started a TV show, um, a morning show for our school and it's broadcast live every morning and um we took a lot of what we learned and tunneled it into that and that is truly student run we're just the facilitators and um you know we've had some failure but we've kept that going that's good i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because i knew about that so i wanted you to to share a little more about that morning show can you kind of share like what the students are doing and what all are they just, you know, what, what are they covering? What are they talking about? And then, you know, what are they doing? Are they doing the full production of it? Is there assistance? There? Like what's all, I'm just interested to figure out like what well, all they're doing. We'd love to talk that. about the morning show. I figured the you might. The WDBS morning show is our favorite thing and it's run on a shoestring budget. It's all online. And so the kids run the entire thing. We help set up structures at the beginning of the year, the logistical structures, but they, um, they do all the writing, they do all the directing, they're the tech person behind the scenes, the producers, they set up the schedules. So what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis is we have 20 kids in our advisory who run the show. Half of them will be on the show on any given day. And we have two anchors who introduce the morning show. It's sort of a Good Morning America kind of format. With a middle school twist. For sure. And then we do weather, lunch, word of the week, and a couple special segments. So every person on the show is responsible for doing their own segment once every around 10 days. And so we have everything from video segments like the hero of Francistown that have a lot of battling to bad jokes, teacher news where they try to make us more hip. Um, <laughs> uh, they do um, a lot of things from the internet, like they'll pull videos from the internet. It's called depths of the internet. Um, there's also segments where we go over what some of our rules and expectations are within the school in a kind of fun way that is run by kids so that we are reinforcing all of our values. But it comes from them. And what we've really discovered in terms of a failure that's become a success is we have to get out of the way. If we're in the room when they're recording, they will look at us and expect us to solve their problems. But if we get out of the way, they look to each other and they solve those problems. And that's been a huge an important part of what we've done. That's really cool. I love I love that they're not only getting the the um, the experience and the skill set of the being on screen and talking and coming up with ideas and the creativity, but they're also getting the experience of behind the scenes and the technology and and editing and going to find and research and all this stuff. And then I love you you mentioned that's on a shoestring budget. Like that's great too, because I've learned how to do this creativity without that, you know, a big, you know, network you know, budget and stuff like that. I, there's a lot of really cool skills that are being built into those students. That is really powerful and really cool. So that's awesome to hear. Nice work. Um, it is great. And we've had to 
um, fight some battles. We it's it's broadcast live every morning, and then it's uploaded to SchoolTube. So the school watches it live and records it at the same time, and then it's uploaded onto our website through SchoolTube, and then parents can get on and watch it or community members. So it's been great that way, trying to broadcast what we're doing at our school and keeping the community informed um, and things like that. But it was a, it was a hard shift for edu- for administration because people were worried what happens if kids make a mistake or they end up swearing or something like that. And, you know, we just have not experienced that at all. It's been wonderful. Kids are invested. It belongs to them. Why would they mm-hmm. purposefully screw it up? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. When you give them that ownership, they, they, they'll, they'll show you a side you never even thought they had, which is awesome. And I, I was going to ask, so I'm really glad that you went there and you shared like where it goes out and that it goes out in the community because it, it's it's not sharing your school's story with it, with your community. It's going to bring them in. They're, they're going to be more engaged and be more involved. I know Ray's loving that, Absolutely. Uh, that piece of it for sure. So well, I'm loving it. it's been really fun that – we have this to share and that we all share it as a school community first. It's like having a meal that we all sit down for. And then we can also share it with the larger community. And one of the things our kids do is they use some performance norms to evaluate every single show. And that helps us continually get better. And sometimes those shows aren't as good as you'd like them to be. And that's part of the process too. It comes from our failed project of student council reboot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, there's been a c- common theme with the stories that you've shared of of just working as an educator, striving to get that student ownership component. And I think that, that you touched on it earlier when you were talking about your failure but this concept of giving students ownership over over anything, over their learning, over, I mean, any part of our building, our schools, is scary for the teacher. Well, one of the things we know about middle schoolers is that they want to take risks. It's part of them and how they learn developmentally. And if we can give them ownership and make things matter to them, then they're going to take the kind of risks that are going to help them be better people instead of some of the dumb things that they like to do when left to their own devices. No, absolutely. I understand that because as you know, we work with teachers to, to provide students more ownership in their classroom or ownership in their advisory program or ownership in student council it's it's almost a training for the educator to let go because our students do want to do well. No student goes walks into the building every day and says, hey, I really want to screw this up for myself. Like they do want to do well, but they don't always have the opportunity. And when given the opportunity consistently to start taking ownership, uh, we've seen an enormous shift. And, and I think you hit on this idea perfectly that when you give student ownership, it doesn't happen overnight, right? There's like a testing period where the students kind of don't understand what ownership looks like and and you might need to scaffold it a bit and create a framework to allow them to feel secure and safe to start taking those risks. But when that shift happens, gosh, you you can't take it back now. (laughs) Right. One of the way that we set it up is that um, because it's seventh and eighth graders, we have them for two years. So when the new kids come in, the seventh graders, the 10 of them or 11 of them, 
we um, partner them up with an eighth grader. So that eighth grader then becomes their teacher or their peer mentor. So um, they ask them a lot of questions instead of coming to us, which has really worked out well. But that's also something we've learned along the way. Absolutely. So what is fueling your fire? I mean, you ladies have done so much, you know, work to really reach your students more deeply. And I know you've hit some hurdles along the way, but this idea of moving forward, trying to instill this sense of ownership in our students, trying to reflect on ways to do that better every time you walk back into the school building. What's keeping you going? I don't know. Jeez. I guess it's just who we are. Um, this is life, right? Productive struggle. We always get better when we've tried something and failed at it and then picked ourselves back up. And kids have to learn how to do these things so they can have the capacity to solve their own problems. And it's how both of us have learned. And it's just realistic to who we are outside of the school building. And kids shouldn't just be passive receptacles of knowledge because we have the internet. <laughs> they need to be able to learn and grow and make mistakes and care about what they do. I think that also, like, we walk in the building every day and we are two really positive teachers and positive presence. And so we try really hard not to get caught up in the whole um, teacher lounge negativity kind of thing. So we um, are always um, coming up with new ideas. We're always pushing kids to do things. We're always, we're those two that will try anything. Um, and it's exciting because teachers are starting to come on board and there is really starting, we're starting to see a shift in our school. Um, it's, we're moving away from that factory model and we're trying to um, really actively engage the kids. Marianne does a lot of gamification which is exciting. And a lot of teachers have been coming and asking, you know, how you implement things like that. So it's exciting to see the shift at our school. And um, I think it's a trend across the country. So between gamification, student ownership, is that what's getting you excited about where educated, where education's headed and everything that you do? Yeah, I'm super excited about gamification and role-playing games, especially for middle schoolers, their whole life is like a role-playing game right now as they try on different roles and personalities and ways of being. And they're so creative and they're so excitable and they have so many ideas and a lot of time that they are willing to put into things they care about. So harnessing that energy is what makes me excited about education right now. Um, kids really want to like school. They want to want to be there. And they will show you so much passion if you allow them to. Uh, all of that is really exciting to me. Technology is really exciting to me. Um, there's all sorts of great stuff going on everywhere. So I guess what's frustrating to me is trying to figure out exactly what to focus on ourselves. Absolutely. 
So if you were working with teachers that maybe were not in your school building, any of our listeners, what kind of advice would you give them moving forward to try and work towards this model that you guys are are striving to build, this idea of student ownership, gamifications, taking risks? What advice do those teachers need? What I think is to try and find that like person in your building that you can bounce ideas off and collaborate with. I think that that's really important. Um, visit lots of classrooms. Because I'm a special educator, I get um, I have the advantage of going in and seeing a lot of teachers and classrooms and seeing what they're doing. And it just gives you this um, feeling that so many great things are happening. And, um, you know, go in, borrow things, steal things from other teachers. Like it's, it's open your door, let other teachers come into your classroom. Um, as it just helps to establish that community feeling in your school. We're really all about community. Everything else is second for us because if you want anyone to take risks, you have to have a relationship with them that allows them to feel safe to do so. So we're so lucky to have each other and we try really hard to make sure that our students know that we're there for them. And if they make mistakes, they can pick themselves back up and we'll help them do that. So before you do anything else, you have to build community and a place of mutual respect and a place where you can take risks. The second advice, uh, another thing I would tell them is you just have to believe in kids. Like we don't, Marianne and I don't sit around and complain or talk poorly about kids. We're always talking about how amazing they are and the great things that they're doing. And um, as a new teacher, you have that fundamental belief and you have to find people that believe those same things. But you have to make the choice to like a kid and believe in them every single day. And if they are challenging, then you have to say to yourself, like, maybe today is the day that we're going to get through. Mm -hmm. Or if a kid does something really weird or funny, to find the humor in that. Because we've all been there and known our teacher doesn't like us. And when you're 11 and stuck there for the entire year, there's nothing you can do about it. So making that conscious choice every day to like kids and like what you're doing is really important. You don't get to decide that somebody is not worth it. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful, making that choice, believing in those kids. It's su such a critical piece of that. So I'm going to choose now to believe in both of you that you can rock out these next six questions in 15 seconds or less okay. each. See how I did that? I'm I'm getting really good. Ray loves how talented I am about doing that transition right there. In total like in total like dad dad joke fashion. I'm loving it. So uh, let's do this. We're gonna roll through each one of these. I'm gonna have you do them both rapid fire. We'll go Ellen. You you answer first, and then Marianne right after. We'll see how fast we can go. I think can we do it together? Oh, we can do it together. You guys want to do that? Yeah. Sure. Let's let's do it. I, you, this is your show. Let's do All it. All right. We're ready. All right. You ready? Yeah. What is one ed tech tool you cannot live without? Google Classroom. Google Classroom. Give us a book you're reading right now. I'm reading, I'm currently reading The Teenage Brain by Francis E. Jensen. I like trashy, supernatural, modern fantasy. So Laura Ann Gilman, anything by her. Uh, who should we follow on Twitter today? 
Mr. Hebert P.E. He's the granddaddy of gamification. Um, I don't know. And hashtag BFC 530. If you get up at 530 in the morning, Eastern time, go be with them. Nice. I love it. Uh, give us a, a, the best YouTube channel or website for educators. Schoolreforminitiative.org. Yeah. It's all protocols. Ditto. Awesome. And give us a daily, weekly, or monthly routine every teacher should get into. Twitter chats. Um, you should go to band practice every other Friday with your colleagues. That means eating and drinking. Or Taco Tuesday. <laughs> I love it. Uh, give us the best piece of advice you've ever received. Don't read emotion into emails. Oh, Classroom nice. should sound like construction sites, not libraries. Oh, I love both of those. Wow. I, love, I was like, oh, I love the emotion in the emails. Well, that's great. And then the and then classroom should sound like construction sites, not libraries. I love it. Those are great. Well, you guys, you guys rock that. My classroom definitely sounds like a construction site. Yours does. <laughs> good. Hey, have you had have you heard any good steak jokes lately steak jokes no but yeah. i have a feeling we're gonna hear one right now yeah well it's a rare medium well done oh there you go there's my dad joke for you <laughs> <laughs> well ladies this has been such a pleasure having you on teach better talk you just really shared so much insight around these pillars that we you know really try and work with teachers on is this idea of student ownership creating energy in the classroom problem solving I just really appreciate all that you guys are doing. Would you mind sharing for our listeners how they can get connected to you? So we're just getting into Twitter. And so they can follow me at Calliope, which is C-U-L-L-I-O-P-E. Um, you can also email us mm -hmm. at ekid at conval.edu or mcullinan at conval.edu. And you can check out our SchoolTube channel, um, to see an archive of our shows. Very cool. And you know, you can find all the links and resources and everything we mentioned or, uh, in this episode over at teachbetter.com as well as the links to connect with Marianne and Ellen and check out that, that school tube and, and check out the morning show there. Everything's over in the show notes. So make sure you head over to teachbetter.com for all of that. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And if you can give us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate that. And then let's take this one step further. Think of just three colleagues that need to hear these stories and the value that these amazing educators are sharing on this podcast and share it with them. Share this podcast with them. Ladies, this was fen phenomenal. I'm so glad we, we were able to have you both on, this dynamic duo, uh, and sharing just what you're doing there and the and the things you're trying to make happen in your school. And uh, I'm super excited that you were able to come on. We really, really appreciate it. And just thank you. Thanks thank you. for having us. Take care. And until next time, let's get out there. Let's teach better. Let's teach better.